Hey everyone, welcome to Hit The Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always, and thank you. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. I've actually recorded a podcast today. Um, I've had my reasons why um, I've kind of been absent. They're all not good, you know, but things are kind of looking up. You know, we're doing a lot better um, as a collective, as a household, family, um, we just had a bit of a rough month and, you know, there was some grieving involved as well as, um, if you've been listening to me for a, a while, you know, more than a, or going back 12 months, you know, it was kind of something that, um, kind of shook me to the core and, you know, things were, there was more important things um, then F1 and content creating and, you know, F, um, motorsport podcasting and all that. So, you know, it's just, it's just been the last month has been about navigating just, just existing, you know, and, and, um, I felt good enough and up for recording this show because I actually, consumed or you know in um watched the monaco grand prix so we're talking about the monaco grand prix today um i didn't watch miami i was not around for that um so i'm not fully across the weekend and it's you know i'm not going to talk about it unless i actually watched or you know um partook in any of the sessions which was not the case so monaco grand prix um some headlines have missed as well in the middle, and then supercars, the Tasmania Super Sprint from a couple of weeks ago, the talking points from that, so it was a marathon of a race, really, you're thinking, oh, you know, it's just going to go quite quickly, as, as most Monaco Grand Prix do, and we've really not had a lot of incidents, um, and again, this year was looking like that until the rain came, but it was basically another simply lovely drive simply the best had to had to put that in there for tina turner rest in peace um simply the best uh performance from max verstappen uh just you know it was all it was talked about or built up let's say as being the race possibly that you know someone could beat red bull now there's all this talk about how red bull could possibly go on and win every race this season and whatnot or get close to you know that percentage of wins that McLaren did back in 1988 and I think Gerhard Berger said something along those lines recently and McLaren that year won 15 out of 16 races for those who are not uh, acquainted with it um, Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna duking it out but Monaco, that was the opportunity for um, someone else to come in. And, you know, when you watch qualifying, one of the most stellar qualifying sessions, and Monaco qualifying is always such a joy to watch, just seeing drivers get every single millimetre, extract every millimetre out of the track. You know, they're literally brushing the barriers and finding crucial not even tenths of a second, but hundreds of a second, you know, thousands of a second at at times. And what we saw, you know, in Q3 was I almost fell off my seat quite literally. I was like, whoa, you know, at two o'clock in the morning or whatever it was when, when we got into Q3. But phenomenal third sector from Verstappen to take pole position. He was down by quite a bit. And then that final lap, the first two sectors were not going to say atrocious, but they were nowhere near where he needed to be. I think he was like two tenths down um, in this in the second sector compared to the provisional pole time set by Fernando Alonso. But then sector three, my goodness, pole position by zero point zero eight four of a second. Seriously. And then when you look at the um, spread across the the top four drivers, it was less than two tenths covering them, and that's incredible considering you had a Red Bull and Aston Martin, um, 
a Ferrari in qualifying until it was um, given a grid penalty and an Alpine. So you had Esteban Ocon and the Alpine up there as well, which was so, so incredible. So yeah, that was kind of the story of qualifying. Um, also, first race back in Europe after the cancellation of the Emilia-Romagna race. Of course, that was a, a big talking point and again, um, first chance for me to express that uh, my thoughts and um, feelings are with those affected, uh, the victims affected in those regions. I hope everything is um, on the right track and good on F1 for making that decision when they did to not go ahead with a weekend and also kind of redeploy some of their assets into uh, providing relief for the victims. And, you know, everyone's seen clips of Yuki Tsunoda and, and Alpha Tauri team members because um, their home base uh, in Fienza is not too far away. Um, so, you know, Tsunoda and his team, they're helping out as well, which was quite warming to see. So really good that, you know, people were able to dig deep and, you know, provide whatever they could for for those victims because yeah you know that's it's devastating whenever you see some kind of natural disaster like that so um yeah good on good on them for doing that but going back to monaco sixth win for red bull this year out of six races fourth for verstappen and also a third straight win at monaco going back to 21 when verstappen won it last year checo perez and um yeah now checo winning it again and red bull didn't have the the pool going on their um on their big barge this year the energy station due to a water shortage so there would there's no jumping in the pool this year 29 or sorry 27.9 second gap was the difference between verstappen at the checkered flag and his closest competitor fernando alonso who as well had his best result of the season. Um, start of the race, we saw Max and Alonso diverge on strategy. So Max starting on the medium tyre, Fernando on the hard. This pretty much gave the grip advantage for the pole sitter from the lead. And um, Alonso, any chance he had, even though Max's starts this year, people have noticed, haven't been... Um, as sharp as normal so there would have there was sort of an opportunity but there's just that you know tire difference or the delta like as they like to call it um meant that you know the slightly grippier tire which is the medium tire um but doesn't last as long uh went to max but he did kind of make it last because he did go very deep into the race um as you'd expect with monaco and, you know, I'm not going to go into debate about, oh, whether we should be racing in Monaco or not. Qualifying proved that it is, you know, worthy of its spot on the calendar, the prestige and their history. Look at McLaren with their Triple Crown livery as well, celebrating both the Indy 500 over the weekend. And congratulations, Jason Newgarden, on all winning that for Team Penske. Um, but also the Monaco Grand Prix, a leg of the Triple Crown. So, and McLaren celebrating that with three iconic liveries which they used the three separate liveries in IndyCar because they had uh, four cars to be able to do that in in F1 they just decided to mash them all into one so what it looked like and if you've seen the little meme floating around on the internet is um you know a a half lit cigarette basically because it's kind of burnt off it and ashy at one end and it's got the you know the orange stripe and the white in the middle so um you know there was a sentiment was nice for mclaren but probably not the greatest looking livery i've got to say uh full stop but um yeah you know monaco is an important race and it's good that you know the interest is there and the crowds look like um they were a lot full this year as well compared to last year for example so you know i think still coming out of covid and whatnot in in places like that in the world and you know econ the economy and who's got money who doesn't is is a big big thing as well i heard them saying in the commentary so yeah good on them for doing that um as you'd expect you know there wasn't much overtaking going on or you know change of position there was hustling going on in the midfield a little bit there was nico hulkenberg who decided he 
wanted to go and try and make some overtakes and ended up in trouble on the first lap with um, both Lance Stroll and Logan Sargent and Stroll having an absolute dogged race which we'll come to a bit later. We also had Ocon um, kind of in a battle with Carlos Sainz in a way as well and the whole reason Ocon was uh, promoted was the fact that Leclerc copped a three-place grid penalty after qualifying for impeding Norris during Q3. So, you know, again, uh, the curse of Monaco strikes for Leclerc and at least he was able to finish the race even if it was a bit of an anonymous one for him at the end of the day. And again, I'll get to Ferrari a bit later, but Sainz was quite frustrated throughout the whole thing and um, the fact that, you know, Ocon was ahead and was able to actually keep a good pace frustrated Sainz and he, whilst trying to make like a half-assed attempt to overtake um, at the Nouvelle Chicane, ended up making contact and lost a piece of his front wing. So that really cost um, him some performance as well. Uh, we had the threat of rain coming in later in the race as well and... Um, it was evident by lap 53 that we had rain on the track. You could see in certain parts that it was wet. Um, and then, yeah, cars like, I think, Esteban, not Esteban, uh, Valtteri Bottas were one of the first ones to come in for Inters. Max from the lead didn't actually pit before then. He took those medium tyres to lap 56 and then waited um, till it was wet enough to pit for the Inters. Alonso, on the other hand, and this is where things kind of get a bit murky, is the fact that he came in lap 55 and went for the medium tyres, so switching from hards to mediums and staying on slicks, and then ended up back in the next lap to pit for Inters. And everyone's like, well, Aston buggered it up, you know, they messed up the strategy, they cost uh, him the chance to win this race, and, you know, there's very well chance that he could have um, put on the intermediates that lap on lap 55 and ended up ahead of Max. It's not like Max lost any time during his pit stop because he had the perfect gap and everything, but would it have made a difference for Alonso? Look, it's one of those 50-50 calls where maybe on that lap the track was not wet enough for intermediate tyres, you know, and he could have easily had an advantage um in some respect on fresher rubber but then in other aspects you could be like oh well it's kind of like what Lando Norris did in um in Russia back in 2021 is you know he stayed out a lap too late and um ended up losing a potential win you know close to the end of the race so you know they can you can sit there and analyze and you know argue all uh, all day, every day, whatever, until the next race, if they buggered that up. At the end of the day, they made a decision, you know, they still finished P2, which they were really happy with, considering it's their best finish for the year, and, you know, Team Aston Martin's best finish as well, um, since they became Aston Martin. I wouldn't be ruling out um, possibility of a win later in the year, you know, there's still plenty of circuits, we've got Singapore, which is very similar, Hungary even, where we could see them up there, so it's it's not really such a big loss, but the potential was there, it was great to see Alonso on the pace, he did a great job all weekend, um, and you know, the run of podiums continues, it's only been one race so far this year, he hasn't been on the podium, so consistency is key, and he's doing such a great job, and I've written about it as well in the article called The Renaissance of Fernando Alonso, so do please check that out on the Raw, um, and basically saying, yeah, wow, he's actually made a, a wise career move for once. So not going to say much more about him, I'll talk about his teammate Stroll a bit later on, but how about Esty Bestie? It's <laughs> his nickname, apparently, I think. That came out in Australia during one of the fan forums um, here in Melbourne. And Esty Bestie is apparently what his friends call him. So Esteban Ocon, excellent P3. And I guess um, one of the talking points after Miami was the fact that um, the Alpine CEO, Laurent Rossi, kind of gave him this massive public spray and um, looked like a bit of a... Um, bit of a fool if you know I could 
speak bluntly on the matter, but um, basically this result was like, well, you know, you, you don't think we can do it? Well, here you go, we can do it. So, um, but, you know, look, there's some truth in what Laurent Rossi was saying about how they should really be further than where they are considering the resources and the investment that they have at the moment. And they're essentially a works team and works teams are all meant to be the the best in F1 at the moment or since the the hybrid powered trains came on board in 2014. But Renault, Alpine, whatever their guys has been since then, um, even when they were with Red Bull as an engine supplier, it has not been that great for them and you know what what are we another hundred race plan or you know five year plan what they're working towards to getting back to the front it's just not looking great and you know i can understand frustration but certainly giving them a public dressing down is not really warranted um you know just makes you look more like um well you're not really not really doing anything to help the situation because you know you just come in and throw everyone under the bus and then disappear so i think a result like that will be really um good for the team i mean you know i'm a mclaren fan i want to see mclaren succeed and you know alpine have been one of mclaren's direct rivals in the past couple of years so you know seeing them getting a leg up like this is like mm. um but you know mclaren have got a lot more coming this year in terms of upgrades and whatnot so there is you know hope for them yet um speaking of upgrades mercedes they brought their long-awaited upgrade package which was meant to be for imola um but they tried it out here in monaco which you know you're not going to get too much out of upgrades um you know for monaco unless it's circuit specific they actually have side pods on their car now so you know is that gonna suit them going forward to Barcelona and tracks like that and you know they're they're pretty much saying too it's not till Barcelona will actually um, get a gauge on you know where these upgrades have put us it's not going to be a silver bullet for them of course they've said it's just you know trying to you know start on a new path and see if this is where um, if they keep following that path they can actually get back to their winning ways but they slotted in behind the top three Hamilton fourth George Russell with a five second grid uh, five second time penalty for a dangerous rejoin later in the race still was fifth because that's how much quicker they were um against the Ferraris um but yeah, good on them for scoring those points and ahead of Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship too. And considering Ferrari were a team who were like, oh, you know, they'll be up there fighting Red Bull this year. They're th- fourth and not even on 100 points yet, um, considering the top three are, you know, well into the hundreds with their... Um, or not if you're Red Bull, because you're, you're closing in on, you know, 300 points almost, I think. But um, for... Ferrari, what a dismal showing, and Leclerc had the grid penalty, of course, and that put him down the order, and he ended up coming home in sixth, but he was really nowhere during the race, and of course, yes, you know, Monaco, you can't overtake, you can't, you know, gain positions on the track easily, but strategically as well, they, you know, they reacted a bit too late to the weather and ended up having to double stack their cars you already had signs who was blowing up over the fact that um he didn't react or they didn't try to undercut um Ocon or even Hamilton for a matter of fact but you know his engineer was like well we were trying to cover Hamilton with the pit stop that they did do before the rain came um but Signs is like, oh, I don't care about Hamilton, you know, I'm after Ocon, and then for him to finish down in eighth at the end of the day, because he was hurt by the double stack when they came in for the inter tyres, and then had a front wing replaced as well, um, it was a really costly day, and, you know, Ferrari just operationally looking pretty, pretty dismal at the moment as well, so, you know, and there's some, you know, things going on in the media as well, 
some rumours circulating, which I'll get to a bit later as well, in regards to drivers. But yeah, it was a it was a dismal day in my eye. There's nothing you can celebrate. I mean, if you want to celebrate the fact that Leclerc finished a Monaco Grand Prix, go for it. But you know, they're sitting fourth in the constructors' championship. They're 29 points behind Mercedes. They've not really had any consistency. You know, at even being able to look like podium contenders or, or threats I think they've just had the the one podium so far this season it's not looking good for them but um you know we got to give them the benefit of the doubt we really do I don't <laughs> uh moving it on Pierre Gasly he kind of split the Ferraris or he was in the middle there um yeah he did split them in P7 so there you go <laughs> Um, and double points for Alpine as well, so great day for them overall, and again, going back to having a response for their boss in Rossi for giving him that spray in Miami, um, and yeah, they did finish ahead of both the McLarens, who were in the points, which was good, and they had some upgrades as well that they brought um, in, in Baku, and you know, they kind of didn't work in Miami, and, you know, again, Monaco's not really the track to do it, but, you know, they finished where they qualified, ultimately, they started on different strategies as well, um, between Norris and Oscar Piastri, and, you know, to get ninth and 10th is pretty good at the end of the day, and, you know, there's talk of them potentially debuting almost a B-spec car in Austria, I don't know if it'll be um, B-spec because you need a whole new chassis for that and apparently in the cost cap year it's difficult to actually bring a whole new uh, chassis to you know your, your upgrades or whatever so we'll see but you know if they're making positive progress which they which they make it sound like that they are then you know, we kind of just have to wait and see until, you know, things go wrong. And, you know, they've just hired another um, Red Bull engineer. Uh, can't remember his name. I'm so sorry. Uh, Rob Marshall, I think it is. Red Bull. Yeah, there we go. Quick Google. And um, he's going to be in a senior technical role or essentially a new technical director. So kind of replacing... Um, uh, James Key, so, you know, again, you know, Red Bull engineers and designers being poached left, right and centre, just do what Aston Martin did and, you know, take, you know, their key personnel because Adrian knew he's not going to be leaving anytime soon, so just whip out the checkbook and offer the 2IC or the third in charge what um, something ridiculous and, yeah, you might be able to get lucky with that like Aston Martin have. So, yeah, that's them. Yuki Tsunoda, he was excellent. He qualified ninth, and then, unfortunately, his race came undone with a brake issue later on, and he dropped to 15th. Um, otherwise, it would have been points for him, too, and um, Piastri would have uh, been knocked out, sadly. Uh, and then we also had... Kevin Magnussen and Lance Stroll failed to finish the race and Stroll just ended up, you know, bashing into walls, bashing into other cars. It really was a horrible race for him and, you know, there's been a few people, <clears throat> a few critics out there who have started to kind of make light of the fact that you've got Alonso who is sitting third in the championship and is finishing on the podium, he's finished on the podium five times out of six this year in a car that, you know, is kind of second best at the moment, whereas Stroll seems nowhere near that and um, doesn't sit anywhere near him in the standings either. I think he is lucky enough to be in the top ten, but there is a bit of a gap between him and the Ferraris, so, you know, is anyone going to ask any questions of, of Lance? I mean, probably not. He did well to start off the year, and coming back from the um, you know double wrist injuries that he had as well after preseason, he, he did a great job to start off. But it's just not been consistent, unfortunately. So you know, I wonder if people are going to start asking questions. But again, it's it's difficult considering his dad owns the team so and you know the sole purpose of Lawrence Stroll being in F1 is to make his son a world champion which uh, 
maybe when Max Verstappen decides to leave at the end of 2028 or whatever it is. Um, anyway, uh, worst possible weekend though for Verstappen's teammate Perez. Perez, Checo. Um, he crashed in quali, which he was, you know, profusely apologetic about. Um, on the at the exit of Sandovot in Q1, and you know, thought he might be okay to get into Q2, but track evolution it is a real um real bummer and he ended up out and starting at the back of the grid and he couldn't do what he did in Australia and side through the field and end up finishing P5 no um didn't make it as far as P16 I'm afraid and you know it just was a really really messy one for him so considering there was talk and you know still sort of is talk about uh, Checo and his title credentials you look at the first six races so far this season and you know sad that Imola was cancelled and whatnot but we can't dwell too much on that five of the six races have been on street circuits as well and that seems to be Checo's strong suit and I think that's absolute bogus that the fact that you know it's it's like Formula E so far with you know, we're, we're, we're racing on this many street circuits to begin the the season. You have to go back to Bahrain the last time we had a permanent track. Um, I guess Melbourne is sort of semi-permanent in the fact that it's a it's a hybrid, you know, um, what do they call them in, um, in supercars? Parklands, you know, like a parkland circuit. Uh, so, but still, it is, you know, done on... on roads that are used during the day and night and every other time of the year. So the fact that, yeah, we're going to Barcelona now and Checo just, you know, dropped away when we got to those permanent circuits last year. I don't think, you know, not that I thought it was going to... He was going to have much of a hope against him. I didn't think that at all. But, you know, it would have been nice, or it still can be nice if we can have a two-way fight for the title. But um, anyway, it was not a really good weekend for Jacko, let's put it that way. So hopefully he can move past that and do better in Barcelona. And speaking of Barcelona and talking about um, street circuits, you know, it's exciting to go back to a permanent track in Barcelona. And hopefully with the removal of that uh, chicane as well in the final sector, um it can make for some more overtaking down the main straight and into turn one. So that because overtaking has been something that's been uh, not a regular thing at that track. So, you know, we'll see how they go this weekend. And that's it for Monaco. Looking at the um, headlines that I might have missed uh, or haven't had a chance to really mull over in podcast form was uh, of course the announcement that honda will be partnering aston martin from 2026 so it's a work deal. red bull have obviously not happy because you know red bull currently are with honda and they would have wanted to continue but honda decided to under previous management it must be noted um in 2021 or i think it was 2020 decide that they need to pull out of f1 they need to focus their resources on, you know, EVs and, you know, electric future, this and that and whatnot. And, you know, then that lot who were in running Honda at the time ended up getting fired or quit or something like that. And then a year later, they're like, no, no, no. Or two years later, they're like, oh, no, no, no. We're going to, um, you know, we're committed to the 2026 engine regulations and, and whatnot. But Red Bull are like, what the hell, guys? You know, we wouldn't have set up our own, you know, powertrains division and, you know, look to build a engine in-house for the first time in our existence if it wasn't for you guys saying that you're pulling out. And, of course, now that Red Bull were partnering up with Ford in 2026 and that's only kind of a branding deal because uh, Red Bull powertrains will be doing all the all the technology and the design work and whatnot on the power unit, but Honda was like, no, nah, still, we still want to be in F1 2026, so we're going to commit, and there you go, they're with Aston Martin, um, of all teams, and, you know, for a while there, it was like, oh, would they go back to McLaren, certainly wouldn't have mind, um, wouldn't have minded if it was, um, 
if they were able to learn from their mistakes, or Honda has, and you know whether McLaren has learned from their mistakes uh, from 2015 to 2018, and um, you know be able to kind of be a bit more successful but no they went to Aston Martin and you know it's not going to reflect on the road car business at all so you know those thinking but Aston Martin you know make luxury you know sports cars and GT cars and Hondas are just Hondas <laughs> nothing special um, it's not going to be like that at all so it's just purely in F1 um, so It'll be interesting to see. And kind of the final step, really, for Aston as well, when you think about it. And, you know, I was one of those people, and I've said it so many times this year, that I've really had severe doubts about Lawrence Stroll and his ambition to turn Aston Martin or the Silverstone team, formerly Racing Point, and force India into a into a regularly successful team and what he's what they've done this year is quite significant and, you know then short of I guess you know being a works team to uh, being able to be in contention for a championship which seems to be the mantra like I said earlier in this ty- uh, turbo hybrid era hybrid hybrid <laughs> um, turbo hybrid era so I guess when you look at Martin Whitmarsh, who is what the, you know, big boss there underneath Lawrence Stroll, and of course, you know, boss of the boss of the team, you know, this was a sort of decision he made for McLaren as well when they went to Honda in the first place. Is he making the same mistake twice, or, you know, has he as well learnt from how, you know, the mistakes unfolded at McLaren to be able to... Um, you know, to be able to see them succeed this time, and you know that's going to be really good if they do. It also means that you know they're going to have to start designing their own gearboxes in house and rear end because currently they get the rear end suspension and and gearbox components from Mercedes, who's their engine partner at the moment. But you know, from what we've seen from Aston Martin and their design team under Dan Fallows, you know they've designed a absolute you know giant slaying car everywhere else so it's just that rear end that they've got to get um done for 2026 and then the other big talking point as i alluded to earlier about ferrari is the rumor coming out of the daily fail i mean daily mail um in the uk uh about ferrari offering Lewis Hamilton and I watering some of money. I think it's to the tune of 75 million Australian dollars to go and drive for them in 2024. Now, this was, you know, profusely shut down in Monaco by Ferrari and by Hamilton as well. Uh, a lot of people debating. And, you know, given the fact that there wasn't a lot of, you know, concrete evidence or anything or, you know, anyone who even as a whisper or suggested in Monaco that actually, you know, an offer might have been put forward or something, or it, it may not have, it may have. Um, John Elkin, the Ferrari chairman, uh, Ferrari CEO, was present in Monaco as well, as we saw during one of the practice sessions. Um, but, you know, there was nothing to suggest that it may or may not have, you know, it was more like it hadn't happened than it did would it be a good thing? I mean, from Hamilton's perspective, it's something that, you know, wouldn't kind of rub me the wrong way. And I'm not, you know, going to say, oh, you know, I'm a big Hamilton fanboy or anything like that. You know, I respect and admire the guy. He's done a lot, like I've said, in the in the show in the past and whatnot. And, you know, he's a seven-time world champion, um, and one of the greats of the sport, legends of the sport. So, for someone who has preached loyalty for, you know, he, the entirety of his career, he's talked a lot about the fact that um, he's driven for Mercedes or driven Mercedes-powered cars his entire career in F1 or since a very young age. Um, turning his back on him now would, wouldn't, 
sit right with a lot of people and I don't know if it would sit right with Hamilton either. I mean, sure, he's entitled to, you know, have a bit of fun towards the end of his career and, you know, not saying he's completely done. I mean, 12 months ago I might have, <laughs> I did say he was completely done, but, you know, he might have a little bit left in him. You know, look at Fernando Alonso, although Alonso's a completely different animal. Um, I would like to see him, you know, go out with Mercedes and then, you know, stay around at Mercedes even beyond his driving to continue doing the work he's doing, you know, in a in a kind of mentoring way or helping those pathways and everything. And, you know, loyalty is something that, you know, uh, Hamilton's driven by, you know, and that's kind of his his aura, his personality, it's its what he's well known for. Um, if it was five years ago, for example, or even, you know, when he made that decision to go to Mercedes back in 2012, if, you know, the door had opened for him at Ferrari then, um, you know, that's when I would, I would have gone, you know, if I was in his place, <laughs> um, you'd make that decision and go to somewhere like Ferrari. But the fact that he's gone to Mercedes or he went to Mercedes, had all this success, you know, they're rebuilding, there is still potential that, you know, they can get it right next year and, you know, within the next two years, realistically, before the next engine regulations in 2026 um and if Hamilton only wants another two-year deal or three-year deal sign it with Mercedes and you know see what happens but I don't think you know as much as the romanticist and you know person who wants to see Hamilton driving for Ferrari one day would be great it just it just doesn't seem right you know and not saying that you know it would have been any different like there were, it could have potentially been for beyond 94, you know, Ayrton Senna driving for Ferrari. They've said, and people have come out and said that, you know, an offer was made or they were going to try and get him over for 1995. Um, but, you know, sadly that didn't happen. Um, I kind of like that mystique and whatnot about Senna having never driven for someone as famous as Ferrari. And same for Hamilton, I think it would be great, you know, if he just finished his career and stayed loyal to Mercedes and everything and, um, you know, not have to go down there. It's it's I likened it to LeBron James going to the Lakers and, you know, sure, he won a championship in 2020 and, you know, it was a bit of a doozy of a year as well, 2020 in the NBA um, with, with COVID and everything, but... What has it done to the Lakers long term? I mean, now there's rumours that he might be retiring in and now after their exit in the playoffs. Um, and, you know, the Lakers ended up trading away all their, uh, you know, young talent like your Brandon Ingrams and your D'Angelo Russells. I, I, ironically, they've got D'Angelo Russell back there now because they're you know, thought of, oh, you know, let's make a super team and get Russell Westbrook in, you know, because that failed and whatnot. So I feel like it would stink a lot of that if Ferrari tried going after Hamilton. And this is what brings me to Ferrari. Will putting someone like Hamilton in the car make a difference? For things as they are at the moment, no, because Ferrari's problems are beyond their drivers. And how... You know, we're talking about loyalty. How disloyal would it be to turf either Charles Leclerc, who's literally said, you know, I will, you know, do everything I can to win for Ferrari. It's literally my life dream to win a championship for Ferrari. You know, it's it's nothing I desire, nothing more. And then Carlos Sainz as well, who's, you know, done nothing but, you know, be there and... um you know, be solid for the team and consistent when they've actually had a car capable of results. Um, it's it's just silly. And again, going back to the John Elkin, I mean, that guy just, I don't know, not a fan. Talk about Laurent Rossi, you know, John Elkin's up there too. And I think, you know, his lack of racing experience, you know, between he and Bernadette Vigna, it is... It is kind of not what Ferrari need at the moment. And, you know, they're struggling. You've got Frederick Vasseur in there, but it's still kind of the same thing for Ferrari at the moment. We knew that changing team principles wasn't going to bring results straight away, but 
at least show some improvement. Show that you're going down the right path at least in, you know, and, oh, you know, we'll bring in Lewis Hamilton. That'll fix everything. Yeah, sure. Maybe in a different world. Maybe boot up the EAF1 game and, you know, try and do it on that or make some microtransactions about it. I don't know. But it it doesn't work for me. I can't see a lot of positives compared to the negatives in this one, you know, doing a little little Venn diagram or whatever SWOT analysis about this. Yeah, you know, you can tick off that box, you know, that any F1 driver has of, you know, driving for Ferrari one day, but at the same time, Hamilton's a kind of driver who I think he is, you know, he's better than where Ferrari is at the moment, and he doesn't need to give them his time. I think Mercedes deserve him and... He deserves Mercedes, and obviously Mercedes will have him, but they've just got to short out, short out. They've just got to sort out the um, finer details of being the pay packets. So, hopefully, it it comes down to more than just you know money and and loyalties actually in there as well. All right, let's move it on to supercars then, and talk about the Tasmania Super Sprint. It was a couple of weeks ago down at Simmons Plains, and great little weekend of racing. I really enjoyed it, and you know, like I was saying on the last show, I'm pretty sure I said this on the last show, or maybe I just dreamt it. Um, you know, the racing is actually coming together really nicely at the moment. You know, yes, there's flaws that we'll get to a little bit later on, and the P word again being talked about, um, but. You know, seeing two teams up there who are being consistent and strong, nothing to take away from them at all. They're doing such a great job. And Erebus Motorsport, and, you know, it was great actually seeing the owner of the team, Betty Clemenko, in Tasmania at Simmons Plains, um, given that she doesn't spend a lot of time at the racetrack. But, you know, all those early days, you go back to 2013, you know, when they came into the sport, they ran the Mercedes-Benz chassis, all the toiling and all the hard work and tears and fighting that, you know, her and her organization have had to do. It's so, it, it, it's just really warming to see them where they are at the moment and, you know, the success that they're having. It's it's very well-deserved and no one should take anything away from them, you know, even all those parody warriors and you know people criticizing Chevrolet and this and telling him to shush and this and that shush we won't have any of that and it's great to see both Will Brown and Brody Kostecki up there um Brown the round winner for the weekend had a really strong run with two wins and a P2 ends up cutting the points gap to his teammate as well to 87 in the standing so they're sitting one and two at the moment he had pole for race 10, ended up beating Brody Kostecki, his teammate, who was on pole for race 12, and then um, on in race 11 on Sunday, Mr. Sunday, the new Mr. Sunday of supercars, Brock Feeney ended up with the win. So doing a very good job is, is young Brock, and very consistent too, I feel like. At times we're seeing more consistency from him than from his teammate Shane Van Gisbergen, but, you know, they're still quite close in the championship, coming back from those... Um, uh, DSQ or disqualifications that they had in race one and there's a 19 point difference between them and there are 100 and, or Brock is 191 points off the leader but Brown really really good job is being able to control races quite um, well from pole position or from the front row uh, Kostecki had some problems but you know still one of the form drivers out there and some good battles between him and others through the weekend, um, and yeah, they're kind of your top two teams at the moment, Triple Eight and, and Erebus, and Erebus are doing a lot better than Triple Eight, so that says quite a bit about, you know, where where the Red Bull team are at, but, you know, they're, they're there or thereabouts, so, and remember, the season is not, you know, this long, it's it's this long, you know, I've got my arms out here saying, you know, there's, there's still plenty of races to come and whatnot, and, you know, it's always that consistency which once upon a time I used to say Van Gisbergen would lose that consistency through the middle of the year back when he was with Techno he would be strong at the start and and hot come the endurance races and towards the end of the year but it's that middle run you know when when you got Darwin you got Townsville 
Um, I think the bend is in there somewhere too. And it's another thing I'll talk about a bit later is about how many races we've got or rounds we've got at the moment, supercars, because so many big gaps. Um, yeah, it's about being consistent throughout. So, you know, Darwin is typically a good race or good round for Erebus so we'll see how they go with the with the Camaro chassis but great to see some you know new faces up there you know Brown, Kostecki, Feeney as well just hard to say anything wrong about them at the moment um there's a lot of frustration for Cameron Waters uh that weekend a lot of frustration in general you could say about Ford teams um they're still struggling and they came into the weekend with different engine maps as well trialing different engine maps across their car the fact that they have to be trialing things you know race weekends is is pretty phenomenal considering you know these things should have been sorted out at the start of the year but anyway that's a debate for another time but for waters it was more of his own tribulations that he found on track trials and tribulations he hit Kostecki in race 11 at turn four and that um didn't you know perturb him too much but um later on in the race he ended up jumped in the pits by Andre Heimgartner who ended up on the podium and then while Waters was sitting p3 he was actually booted off the podium by Van Gisbergen on the final lap so then you know to add more insult to injury he just didn't have the pace compared to the Red Bull and ended up um, off the podium finishing fourth and then the two qualifying sessions on Sunday he found not one but both the DJR Mustangs but not even in the same session it was almost like a carbon copy from you know qualifying for race 11 over to race 12 and it was a different it was just the different car but at the same part of the track and i know simmons is a difficult track you know for track position and you know people can't really spread out because it's such a short track in qualifying but you know what were the team doing you know they could have been a lot better with you know trying to find a gap for him and everything and you know to have it happen once and then happen again is absolutely ridiculous and you know poor DJR as well having a bit of a rotten time at the moment um just nowhere near nowhere near the top five or or top ten even so you know going over to Darwin which has been a round that they've been successful at in the past hopefully they can rekindle that but will davison ninth in the championship anton de pasquale 18th that is not something you would have said at the start of the year you know not knowing about um the parity issues and whatnot but you know given djr's form over the past you know five six years or whatever it's it's really come away from them and you know davo Wilbur, Will Davison, 352 points behind, so, you know, that is already more than a round's worth of points, and it's just crazy to think that, you know, they're nowhere near the top in qualifying, or they're nowhere near the top in, in the races either, Waters at least, you know, he had pace in, in qualifying, he could have been on pole in in the shootout, or the three-stage qualifying that they had for race 10, but you know, come the final session, ended up, um, you know, two tenths down off and off the front row of the grid. So, you know, there's just other people doing a better job at the moment. So it's it's really tricky. But, you know, again, you can attribute a lot of their difficulties and whatnot to the fact that, you know, they are on the back foot with their car. Yes, it's easy to say they just need to do a better job. But when you're dealing with things to do with parity and the fact that, you know, engine... Um, engine mapping and all that seems to uh be different between both cars or the fact that um you know there's no equality in there like there's supposed to be you know the fact that this is a parity formula and there is no parity does say a lot and you know we had the ford boss mark rushbrook come out and have some words to say about it he's like you know he basically said you know if, if we can't win you know we're just gonna leave <laughs> um if there's a better word no better way of saying it uh roland dane the former you know red bull team boss and founder of triple eight he has a column that i do regularly read and find a lot of insight and you know do agree with what he says a lot of the time but he essentially with on this matter said that teams need to do the other teams need to do a better job or the four teams need to do a better job 
and then we had Ryan Walkinshaw, who's, you know, Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, the Ford team this year, come out and uh, slam him and say, nah, you know, you're basically misleading people by saying that because the matter is more than just, you know, teams doing a better job. It's about getting the parity on the engine sorted. And, you know, a lot of people in the comment sections and on social media, are, you know, are going to be quick to remind or have been reminding Roland about 2019 and the fact that after Scott McLaughlin and, and DJR Team Penske came out and smashed the competition in Adelaide with the new Ford Mustang and also in, in Melbourne as well across the Grand Prix weekend, um... Roland wasn't saying, oh, you know, my team and the other Holden teams need to be doing a better job then. So there is some merit in what Walkinshaw is saying. And I just think it's, it's you know, regardless of who needs to do what, you know, on the team side or who's saying what, I just think it's not a good look for the sport that this is happening. You know, so it's up to the sport to get it sorted, you know, whatever they need to do. Um, it's just ridiculous, and given the lead time that we've had for Gen 3 as well, going back many years now, and yes, COVID did interrupt a lot, and, you know, it was difficult through 2020 and 2021, um, and Gen 3 was ultimately pushed back to this year, you know, they should have been able to get everything right, and make sure we didn't have what happened back in 2019 happen again, so... It's a, it's a tricky one, and, you know, while the racing has been good and I'm enjoying it, it's hard not to get them caught up in these sort of, in this sort of politics and be kind of disillusioned a little bit that, oh, you know, yeah, it's great we're seeing, you know, Erebus do well, and, you know, I love the fact that they're doing well when Triple Eight are giving them a hard time up there, but if, if the engines were equal... Would we see Walkinshaw up there? Would Tickford be up there? Um, it's only then then we can say if they're not up there that they need to do a better job. But at the moment, if they're you know kind of hamstrung by their engine and the fact that they're actually basically running test sessions every race now to get their engine maps right, and every single Ford Mustang is running a different engine map to decide which one's the best for the collective, then there's no equality or you know, positiveness in that. It's basically, right, we're running with one hand tied behind our back while, you know, these guys are enjoying it at the front. And, you know, it would be nice to see how things were if they were equal. So I don't know how much more diplomatic I can get about it. It's a really contentious, contentious topic and a lot of people have a lot to say about it at the end of the day. So, you know, it just I just hope they can get it sorted out and that for the future... We don't see these sort of issues crop up in supercars because it does seem a bit unprofessional, if we're being totally honest. We had some DNFs for some key contenders as well. So Chaz Mostert, sadly, that's how he dropped out of P2 in the championship as well. He had a DNF in race 11, spun by Brock Feeney and then hit by Scott Pye coming out of the um, hairpin. Um, very, very, you know, tricky spot that, you know, a lot of incidents there. And then, of course, Van Gisbergen, of course, Van Gisbergen, but Van Gisbergen with the first DNF against his name since like 2020, I think it was, Townsville, um, also out as well in race 11, connecting with uh, David Reynolds at turn six, and it was no one's fault really, they just connected, you know, and um, Gizzy was sent into the tyre wall, so that's how his day ended, and you know, good on Triple Eight Red Bull getting the car fixed for the final race of the weekend, and you know he's still very much in the hunt, like we said earlier, with the championship points. And good on him as well for announcing the fact that he'll be off doing uh, NASCAR with Trackhouse uh, Racing, the Project Ninety One car, which we've seen Kimi Raikkonen um, race in in the past as well. So um, really good to see. Not that I watch NASCAR, but you know if. if Gizzy has a good result, I'll be happy with him, or happy for him, <laughs> I should say, and of course, uh, Chaz Mostert also announcing that he's going to be doing the Spa 24-hour um, race, also in between that gap between, uh, also between town or Darwin and Townsville, uh, he's going to be doing it with Sun Energy 1, and uh, Kenny Habul 
reigning Bathurst 12 hour winner, King Kenny. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'd be great to see him doing GT driving again overseas. I was loving it when Chaz was, you know, doing things like Daytona and driving for BMW back in the day. And also um, Di Pasquale as well. He'll be in the Grove uh, racing Porsche as well, also at the Spa 24 hour. So best of luck for them. Uh, best of luck to them for that. Um, but coming back to supercars and what I said earlier about, you know, too many gaps. Now, this is something that even when we had 15, 16 rounds a season, it was really difficult having all this time in between races. Now, I think it's another two weeks till Darwin. And it's been, what, two weeks since Simmons. So, you know, and I know the logistics play a big factor in this, but you know, more re- more frequent racing would be good from an audience perspective, and even diehards like me, who, you know, are always watching supercars, it does kind of go away from your mind a little bit when you don't have races on regularly. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, they should do what F1 does and have 24 races a season, or 24 rounds a season, that's ridiculous and ludicrous, I wouldn't have that. I have a life and responsibilities beyond motorsport. (laughs) Um, But, you know, kind of cutting some of those gaps out would be great, and, you know, 12 rounds that they have at the moment is definitely not enough, particularly, you know, when we've lost really, really popular races like New Zealand, and, you know, New Zealand, yeah, because... Pukekohe is not going to be a motorsport side anymore or whatever. There's not going to be any car racing moving forwards. There's other alternative options in New Zealand that they could have done for this year or, you know, to at least announce to give people hope rather than, you know, what they're talking about at the moment about being undercard to F1 in Singapore or, you know, having, um, what was the other idea, you know, having like, clone cars or something like that in different countries where they just can pop up and and go racing not when you know your key audience who are in Australia and New Zealand are not being catered to at the moment you know bring back I I sound so so you know one-eyed at the moment saying bring back Winton and Phillip Island and QR like Tony Quinn bought Queensland Raceway how long ago now and has done such an amazing job from what I hear of it you know redeveloping it implementing new facilities and all this and that you know they said they could do a night race potentially as well if supercars wanted not even a sniff of supercars going back there I mean invest in what you've got you know where your key audience here in on this side of the world no one's going to care you know, at, at Cota or um, anywhere in Europe, go go back to Bahrain or whatever. It's it's not good for us on this side of the world, you know, time zone-wise, to be watching races there. But is there much of an audience, you know, who are going to fill out the grandstands and whatnot? It's, it's not worth it. You know, years ago, going back to like 2015, 2016, back then I was more in favour of going overseas because it was like oh okay you know it's it's in a good place at the moment with you know the local rounds and supporting Australia and New Zealand and whatnot let's go to Malaysia or like they were talking about having that street race in Malaysia that got cancelled um and I was like well why not go to Sepang Sepang's a great track do like an endurance race there I love it but now it's like focus more on you know what's close to you before going bold and wanting to go overseas and I don't think in this current climate going overseas for supercars is particularly going to be great you know they need to really hone in and get what they've got right here they need to get their cars right for example before we can talk about being undercard in Singapore or going to Miami or Las Vegas let's let's have supercars on on the Las Vegas uh, or at the Las Vegas Grand Prix going down the strip you know that would be a sight you know as a novelty, it'd be great, but come on, you know, we can do better than this. Anyway, my voice is starting to go, as you can probably hear. Thank you for listening. Um, you can follow me on socials at Hit the Apex Media, the Twitter account. Um, not that there's much posted to that uh, these days, but I'm hoping, I'm hoping I will be able to back up 
with another show next week and do the review for the Barcelona F1 race, Spanish Grand Prix. Go on, check out uh, F1 Chronicle and, and the Grid Talk podcast as well. Lovely, lovely people. Um, you know, and hopefully I'll be recording with them this weekend as well for, for qualifying. Please check them out. They're amazing very committed, do a lovely job, um, and such uh, really friendly people, so, you know, great content that they provide, so go check them out. Other than that, everyone stay safe, take care, and I'll see you next time.